I'm out of order. You're out of order. The whole damn system is out of order. Hello and welcome to Reengage, the weekly podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of adults returning to the series we loved as kids to see how it holds up. So fight for what's right and let's reengage. Hello and welcome to this, our re-engage episode talking about the drum head. My name is Kate Yeager. I am your host today. Let's go around the horn and say hello to our cultural bridge officers, starting with Eric Curry. Hello, Eric. How are you? Hello, Kate Yeager. I'm doing wonderfully. I'm in the same time zone as y'all. Yay! Uh, just out- <laughs> just outside Los Angeles. And I'm excited about this one. This this one hits a lot of my favorite uh, political shit. Yeah, I knew you would. Jimmy G, <laughs> how are you, good sir? Uh, I am doing great. It's lovely to see y'all folk, as they say in some parts of the world. <laughs> and uh, I, too, am excited to uh, talk about this little episode here. We're going to talk about it. Greg Tito, <laughs> hello. How are you? I'm extremely stressed out. This was a very stressful episode. There are so many things happening, and it's very much about what's happening in our world right now. And it makes me, uh, and and the music was so tense. So yeah, I'm 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 going to be nervous for this entire recording. Ah, intriguing, intriguing. Uh, well, we're excited that you are joining us here. This is Star Date four four seven six nine point two, with an air date of April twenty ninth. 1991. Greg, what was happening in the world? I'm going to keep this one light uh, as this one is a heavy episode. Um, So this is all about baseball. Um, On May 1st, a couple days after this aired, the Oakland A's outfielder Ricky Henderson (laughs) stole his record 939th base in a 7-4 win over the New York Yankees. And this is when that iconic picture with him holding the base over his head in his dirty uniform. Uh, it was a record that uh, he went on to steal 400 more bases, 500 more bases at this time. And I just, it's remarkable because it will never, ever be touched, I think, in our lifetimes. That's of a lot of bases not. to steal. Yeah. No, it'll never come close. He's still stealing bases today, probably under an assumed name somewhere. Uh, <laughs> that guy is just all time. Love, love Ricky Anderson. Well, we know that's not true, Eric, because he will be talking about himself in the in, in the uh, <laughs> third person. That Ricky Henderson is going to steal all the bases that Ricky Henderson is going to be able to steal. I love Ricky <laughs> Henderson. Um, oddly <laughs> enough, this is why I love baseball. There's things that can happen uh, that are completely different, but also as mind-numbingly uh, amazing. May 1st, the same day, Texas Rangers' Nolan Ryan pitched his seventh no-hitter at 44 years old. He is the oldest to throw such a no-hitter, uh, or at least he was at the time. I think that record might have be, been, been, been broken a little bit at this time. So, yeah, to have someone who can steal bases and then not allow anyone to get on base uh, is, is kind of an amazing feat happening in the same day. All your base are belong to <laughs> us, as it were. That's true. Yes. Uh, and this is 1991, so uh, that reference is about right when this is <laughs> <laughs> Makes total sense. Well, and that's everything I got for uh, for the world uh, current events, which is really just baseball sports current events. All right. Well, thank you, Greg, for keeping it light. 
Uh, speaking of keeping it light, we're going to move on to pop culture where the number one song was Baby, baby, I'm taken with the notion to love you with the sweetest of devotion. Oh, Amy Grant. Uh, fun story. I went to an Amy Grant concert um, in during the Baby Berry Baby era and was greeted with a line of protesters who were there to tell us that she was going to hell because of this song in particular. Uh, but that because she this album, um, she had lost her her way, according to some of her Christian fans. Right. She was Christian rock and Christian pop all the way. And this was the first one that was like, mm, let me go a little bit more poppy. That was also like, but maybe I like boys. I don't know. Uh, as far as movies <laughs> go, the number one movie was Oscar, starring Sylvester Stallone. <gasps> yeah. Hell yeah! Not just Sylvester Stallone. Shall we go down the list with Marissa Tomei, Tim Curry? <laughs> uh, who else do we got? Harry Shearer, um, uh, Vic, uh, uh, what's his name? That fucking, uh ingenue man at that point <laughs> vincent uh oh that's gonna kill me i don't remember Gallo. but it's also got like McMahon. eddie bracken and um uh peter regert uh it's crap it's it's absolute terrible i love it it's one of my favorite movies <laughs> well based on that i'm gonna watch it thank you hell yeah <laughs> you will get a kick out of it <laughs> Um, You'll see what they try to do rather than what they do. <laughs> <laughs> On Broadway, uh, a number of shows opened in April, so I'm just going to say them all here on this episode. I Hate Hamlet, Miss Saigon, The Secret Garden, Our Country's Good, and Will Rogers' Follies, all opening there in the month of April 1991. Wow. And on television, the final episode of the original run of Dallas aired. It had a record 356 episodes. And that is pop culture, yeah. Holy shit. Isn't that... A, I, that it, by, it was the second highest running show for the network. I think Gunsmoke being the number one. Right. So if you're doing 26 episodes a season, that's a lot of seasons. That's a lot of seasons of... A lot of slapping. <laughs> uh, so that's what was happening in pop culture. Back to this episode. It was written by uh, Jerry Taylor, who wrote uh, a lot for uh, Star Trek and has said that she was most proud of this script. So when asked about all of the scripts that she had written, this one in particular, uh, directed by one unknown director named Jonathan Frakes. Uh, so this episode reunites him with one of his former co-stars. We'll talk about her, I'm sure, when we get to Eric Curry. But first, we're going to go to Jimmy for the uh, production notes. What was happening in the Nemesic files? Well, Kate, as anemic as Nemesic was last week, he is bloated this <laughs> week. So buckle up as I open up the Kate. files. Uh, this episode was purposely done on the cheap, coming in under $250,000. That, I should have said, coming 250000 under budget, not that it cost two fifty. dollars uh, This was Frank, uh, Frank's second directorial gig with Trek, uh, and he also worked with Simmons on North and South back in the early 80s. Um, wow. This uh, episode finally names the document that governs that a federation um uh 
uh, and that is what we in the United States call the Constitution. Um, and also what we refer to as the Bill of Rights uh, in the Federation, they refer to it as the guarantees. And the seventh guarantee equates to our Fifth Amendment, which is a right to a speedy trial, but not too speedy. You can't just <laughs> rush into the trial. Uh, and uh, we get a shout out to the Mars colony. Uh, and it's not the first time. Uh, it was originally referenced in uh, TOS, the original series, back in 1967. Uh, and we also learned in this episode, Starfleet is not above the Big Brother tactics as we find out that the communicators provide a traceable ID of computer and general system usage, uh, usage, although we already knew you could ask the computer where Barkley was uh, doing his private business. <laughs> um, uh, this episode, going back to the music that Greg had mentioned earlier, this is the final episode scored by Ron Jones, who was fired because he was getting into arguments with the producers about how the music should be used in the show. Oh, amazing. Uh, and then uh, we have a little bit of trivia time. Here we go. Picard took command of the Enterprise on what star date? Okay, I know this. I know this. Hold on. I know this. Starts with a four. It starts with a four. All right. All right. It, I remember it, that. It ends with a four. Is it four? And it and in between there's a one one and a two. So it's four <laughs> one one two four. Good answer, guys. Thank Question you. I was two, so on close. The bridge, on the bridge of the Enterprise is a plaque uh, that has the commissioned star date. It has five numbers plus one more after the decimal point. Do you know what that star date is? Starts with a four. <laughs> <laughs> Kate? Uh, I feel like it's 407.59.5. Yes! Well done. And also kick rocks. <laughs> uh, and finally, <laughs> the first captain's log uh, was entered on what star date? Ooh. And Four. bonus point followed up with what episode did we see? This original hint. Stardate entry for a capital oh. Looking for the star date first. It also starts with a four. God damn it. <laughs> uh, I'm sensing some numbers swimming through the ethos. And it's a four, a one, a one, a five, and a three. But then there's like a point seven. Point seven is right. Woo! Yes. Can't do it without the, the point seven. Uh, and what episode was that? Well, that Kate? would obviously be Encounter at Farpoint. Yes, obviously. part one. Part one. <laughs> part one. That's right, and that is the Nemesis Files. Well, fantastic! Thank you, Jimmy G. Uh, Eric Curry. We have some guest nar guest nars guests. Yes, we do. We have some. They're shredding the nar, dude. <laughs> I was going to say guest stars of particular note, and the liquid you threw me off and made me stumble. Uh, so tell us about our guest stars of note. I certainly will. Um, I would say that they were real assholes to me because I want to talk for a long time about a lot of these people, but I'm going to kind of skip past the really amazing careers 
of Bruce French and Spencer Garrett, who, if you look up, you will know them immediately from so many amazing things. Honestly, and especially science fiction things. But I'm going to skip them in favor of uh, movie star and extraordinary, uh, extraordinary uh, Star Trek guest star Gene Simmons, who we see here as Admiral uh, Satie. Uh, and of course, it's very important to note that uh, she has a couple of Oscar nominations and an Emmy for the Thornbirds. And if you haven't gone back and ever watched the oh. Thornbirds, like you're in for a fucking treat. Classic. Uh, so go, go, please, please check that out. She was discovered at a very young age at a, a dancing school. Her father had been a uh, Olympic gymnast. And she wanted to be an acrobatic dancer. And so she was in dancing school in London when she was discovered by Val Guest, none other, one of the great British directors of the early film talkie period. Um, and she was put uh, very kind of quickly into uh, a couple of his movies. Was uh, Ophelia in the uh, 1949 Hamlet, uh, starring and directed by Laurence Olivier. Uh, which was one of her early like star-making vehicles, and uh, has has been in so many, 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 many things. Uh, and I'm actually going to even skip past her, but of course, what a fantastic career, uh, to talk about Henry Warrenitz, who we see as Jadan, because I know Henry, and I had forgotten he was in this, and holy fuck, it cracked my ass up to see him in... Uh, uh, makeup from uh, the, the Klingon Empire. At this point, I think he either already was or was about to be the artistic director of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, uh, which he was for you know a, a decade or, or more. Uh, after that, he moved to uh, Michigan and was the artistic director of the Boar's Head Theater and then moved to... Um, uh, Delaware, uh, where his wife, uh, uh, his his late wife, unfortunately, Fontaine Sire, one of the great geniuses of the American theater, uh, where she was the artistic director for a while before going off to head the acting program at the University of Indiana. So this is all just off the top of my head shit that I remember about Henry. But uh, I saw him play King Henry with his wife playing uh, Eleanor of Aquitaine in um, Line in Winter in Michigan at the theater I got my equity card at like 25 years ago and it was one of the most amazing uh examples of uh partner acting i've ever seen <laughs> like the two of them were just vibing on every single level it's one of the great performances that that i'll always remember i know he's done broadway recently uh he's uh, often uh, a supporting character when when shakespeare comes to broadway I know he was in uh, Denzel's most recent uh, Broadway production and uh, continues uh, doing good work as a director and writer. I was in a version of The Miser by Moliere that he wrote and directed uh, called um, Stinkin' Rich that was quite fun. And uh, I had just a ball watching him in this episode. So I, I choose to focus most of my little moment here on the great Henry Warnitz. Congratulations, everybody. Uh, we got to see him perform. All right. <laughs> well, fantastic. Thank you, everyone. Let us dig into this episode proper. So we have a Klingon on board the uh, Enterprise who has been doing some research. Uh, and they suspect he may be involved in the theft of schematics 
and an explosion. So we start off in this courtroom setting uh, with Jadan, uh, who says that he's only a suspect because he's Klingon. And they're like, no, no. Worf is a Klingon, which is not a great argument. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he goes... That's the I have a black friend right. uh, correct. defense. Yes, correct. it is. Uh, but to. ultimately, she, Troy says, uh, after all is said and done, he's hiding something. Well, on the turbo lift, Jadan is trying to get, or Jadan is trying to get Worf to take into a shuttlecraft. Hey, man, I know people who can restore your name. Right takes him into a room and Worf throws him against the wall and says, uh, I will find out how you did it, more or less. Uh, and that is our opening. Now what do we think of our cold open? Well, I love that Worf gave him the very classic, most classic, I do not respect you as a foe move of the I'm standing in front of you and I elbow you in the stomach and then bring my fist up into your face. <laughs> it is, it is, I care not for you, sir. And it was quite well done. Uh, and <laughs> I know this is silly, but uh, what immediately struck me in the corridor scene was why, one, is there an exobiologist uh, Klingon? Two, <laughs> why is a Klingon wearing tassels? Because this is the most unthreatening thing <laughs> that a warrior race person could have. And it's not just one. He's, he's betasseled. They're everywhere, <laughs> around his arms, down, they're on the bottom. Uh, he looked like a troubadour, not a Klingon. Well, the shirt was another one of those things that scans the eyes of the people around him, getting um, uh, information that then oh, is right. uh, transmitted by the sweat in the dance club right. uh, we'll that happens that later. later on in the evening. Yeah. <laughs> it was really weird seeing, because I wasn't sure. They say he's a, a, a uh, guest, but he's wearing a... Federation communicator a badge, badge. Yeah. and so I was like, "How? How? What is this relationship even kind of set up?" And I think they later it was on an officer swap. Yeah, yeah, right. It's an exchange, right, which they had done before, and we had seen Riker do that uh, in previous episodes. And I love that this opening, including the the part with Troy and Riker earlier on, um, really kind of play with the audience's expectations. Right, we want to sus suspect him because of how he's acting and how our heroes, the ones that we know are the ones who are interrogating him. And I think we go along with it and understand their, uh, you know, what they're trying to do, why they're trying to get here. And I love that it sets up for us to be uh, shown how our perceptions can be thwarted uh, throughout the course of the entire episode. Mm -hmm. So it's really necessary to see like, okay, no, this is, this is how justice is done. Uh, on here and then it gets you know totally uh, screwed up by the end but they needed to kind of have this this baseline before they could do that and that this cold open does it pretty yeah. well indeed and it's like you said juxtaposition to what we're going to see later right like the scenes by themselves aren't interesting but compared to what we see later especially the Troy I, I don't he's lying yeah because then the very same thing we see later and we right. hate it and we think it feels wrong um but it didn't feel so wrong when it was one of our guys saying it at the top of the yeah. show. Yeah, good point. Plus, Henry Warnitz was obviously lying. <laughs> well, and he was wearing tassels. You yes. don't believe any Klingon in tassels. No. I had nothing to do with the costuming. <laughs> <laughs> After the credits, uh, retired Admiral Satie has come aboard, and her outfit is everything. 
I yes. just need every outfit she has is just to die for. Well, a lot of the outfit is just uh, modular off uh, actually because it's like the outer shell, and then she wears a series of different turtlenecks underneath the outer shell. It's very smart for packing because you get multiple outfits <laughs> out of the same sort of core out. Yeah, it's it's well done. <laughs> and and that's a character moment because she says she's been living out of a suitcase for the last uh, uh, four years of her life. So she knows how she to knows. pack really well. She knows. <laughs> You're not going to bag Gene Simmons as a guest star without some really good clothes. Correct. Correct. She doesn't uniform off the rack. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a Trekkie, right? Like that. Yeah. She had been a long time unabashed Trekkie and had wanted to get on a Trek episode. So. There it's cool she is. to see a star like her. Well, she wants to get to work right away. She's pulled out of retirement, so they head straight down to engineering, where they. <laughs> and she literally got the band back together. <laughs> <laughs> the two people with her is like, and I, I was. Oh right, my yes, guys my back guys. in. My we got the whole got team. The team. That's right. Team Sati. Uh, they go down to engineering. And they can't get into the warp core because of the explosion and the radiation, but they are able to watch a sensor log of the explosion, which is uh, traumatic enough that she wants a full briefing immediately. (laughs) And by sensor log, it means a videotape. (laughs) Me blowing up uh, an M80 in, in the backyard. Exactly, exactly. In a microwave. (laughs) <laughs> in the ready room, Worf shows up uh, as as Picard and the Admiral are so- talking and says that uh, he knows Jadan did it. There's a lot of great Trek no babble. I thought of you, Jimmy. Uh, essentially, mm-hmm. he figured out that Jadan modified his hypo syringe to scan <sighs> information into biological tags mm-hmm. that can then be put mm-hmm. in a human vessel for information. Amino acids. Amino acids. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Ugh. Yeah. Jimmy, how are you? Stop, Stop it. right? It's like talking dirty to me. You need to, to turn me. off this. <laughs> great. N- nobody's in here. Nobody's watching anything. <laughs> We've got some DNA sequencing happening here. Um, I also love the injecting, uh, like the whole idea of like, you know, it may, the person may not know that they're even carrying this or maybe they do know. Ooh. It's like inner space. Right? Like inner space. Yes. I kept thinking of inner space. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was brilliant. I love, I thought that was one of the best made up ways of uh, stealing information. Like that was just oh, great yeah. imagination right there with, it, it doesn't matter how far fetched it is. That's sci-fi. Like it makes sense in that vacuum. And I absolutely loved it. It should be a part of the canon. Like we should see more of like amino acid information transfer. Yeah. Well, some people just call it sex. <laughs> <laughs> I like to steal my documents the old-fashioned way. <laughs> well, back in the courtroom, as it were, uh, Worf gets Jadan to confess by showing him the device. He admits it, but says, right. I had nothing to do with that explosion. But uh, the Admiral is not buying it. <laughs> Listen, y'all, I'm a spy, but I don't blow shit up. Right? All right, I draw the line. <laughs> exactly. I could have gotten out of here without you knowing anything. 
And Sati was like, no, I want you to do this, Worf. Like, I, and she has got a, a real eye on the fact that Worf is uh, leading this charge yeah. on this investigation and making it happen. And I, again, also think that's a wonderful contrast to uh, what happens later on, too. Like, at first, we have to see that she uh, love bombs Worf here early on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. In her quarters, she is now wearing the same outfit, but with a mock turtleneck underneath. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're reminiscing, uh, she and Picard are reminiscing about her father, Judge Aaron Satie, who was required reading at the Academy. At this point, she says, is you like tissue? And it made me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> There, so this was the first I, I had no I, I didn't remember this episode at all. Um, I had no idea where it was going and what what happened with her. But at at the moment when she sort of has a minor breakdown, like you can see she's emotionally impacted by the talking of her dad. I was like, there's something weird. And at first I thought it was an acting thing. I was like, oh, she's really kind of chewing on the scenery here. Like she's sad. I was like, that's really odd that a person of her age would still be so impacted by her a parent that passed away probably decades ago. It was like, it's really, it was odd and not bad acting at all. Like I believed it. It was like, it, it had nothing to do with that. It was just like, there's something weird about this moment going on. And I was like, I didn't know who she was. And I was like, and she seems like a classically trained, like 1940s actor. Like mm-hmm. there was a, a difference in her carriage and the way she spoke is like, it, it was from a different era. It was like it was outside of the 90s. Um, and it all, in that scene, it all came like just punched me in the face. Like, wow, she's different. And then I looked her up. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. A couple of Oscar nods. <laughs> yeah. Like, you are from the classic age of like theater and film were almost the same thing. Back, going back and forth. Like the storytelling was, was different. I love this scene because of that note of uh, her father. It's brought up in a way that feels uh, natural and and it's really about exposition, but she plays it so well. And I think the really important part is her story about how he actually had, I mean, I'm not saying he was an abusive father or anything like that, but like the the way that she describes not, not being able to leave the table until they had clearly explored the issue that's that to me was like a little bit of a red flag where I'm like, mm, you know, there's there's more to unpack about this relationship. She's trying to come like, oh, I was the the chosen one. I was the one that was supposed to lead on his legacy. And uh, I think that a little bit comes again back later on. I love the, the writing of this is really well done because it feels so impactful. Each one of these scenes uh, about how you interpret the the later events. And it wouldn't have worked if we didn't have this amazing actor being able to to pull off this exposition type thing without it feeling like, you know, make sure you know this detail for later. Mm. In the observation lounge, uh, Worf is working on possible collaborators and finds out from one of the Admiral's uh, underlings that they initially considered Worf as a suspect because his father was a traitor. And Worf says what my father may or may not have done has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. Um, and got, gets kind of fired up about all of this and says, if there is a conspiracy on board, I promise you I will find it. Uh, this is yet another lovely layering of a breadcrumb of like pushing that just that small little button 
of like, oh, it's I'm glad we're working together. You know, ironically, we thought maybe you because of X, Y, and Z is just such a nice little, uh, yeah. you know, like tiny little dagger paws. Uh, I agree. And it shows you like these guys, they were duplicitous from the start. Like, and I didn't get this watching it. It's only afterwards. It was like, oh, you were, you were always looking for the problem. You came here wanting to find something, uh, which was just a brilliant setup. And by the way, that actor, he also goes on to be the caretaker in the Voyager. Mm. So he's the reason for the whole series to have taken place. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, tons of sci-fi in in his career. I was just going to note too, like you're right, Jimmy. A lot of this I've gone back to think about afterwards, including the scene earlier in the uh, ready room between Picard and Satie, uh, because he's asking questions about the Klingons and the Romulans, and she's like, "No, we really can't talk about that." Mm. And he's like, "Oh, okay." And of course, that means that she has had these suspicions all along, and. Uh, came here with an agenda before she even showed up and even her reaction to Worf of being like I think he's going to be a very important officer for this investigation is is a bit of a tell mm. as well because mm. yeah know, all yep. that right and again you don't get any of that until you have the full episode and and right. and rewatch and rethink about and reevaluate everything from from that good liars mm. so we're back to the courtroom and we're talking to Crusher, figuring, you know, they quickly get through Crusher. And then they bring in young Simon Tarsus. I love this. Born movie. on Mars, but his paternal father was Vulcan, as he says. Uh, after he leaves, uh, Sabine, or Sabine, um, the, uh, since the Betazoid senses that he was lying, one so big that it overwhelms him. And they think they've got their man. What do we think of this introduction of young Simon? I just, he was so cute. I just wanted to take care of him. I just, I love how quickly they get into the whole idea of the basic problem with any lie detector test is that it can tell you perhaps, maybe, that someone is not being fully truthful, but it can never tell you what they're holding back. So it, it is such a interesting thing that they're making this particular Betazoid able to tell like a lie detector uh, and that's about it um, because you inherently can't deal with that like he's he's assuming the lie has something to do with his interrogation he's assuming the lie means exactly what he wants it to it's all the problems that are inherent in the in the mechanism and it's neat that they immediately go there mm. good point and the fact that the direction in this episode is you know, well done, Mr. Frakes, or maybe it was uh, the actor playing Simon Tarsus, but he looks like he's lying. He does a very good job of acting like a bad mm-hmm. liar, right, Eric? Where, you know, he tries to double back. He's, he, he, you know, he, he says, oh, I, I don't really know. I, I was twice. Twice was the number of times that I talked to him. And, you know, he just looks like he's uncomfortable the entire time. So I, you don't even really need a Betazoid because all of us were just <laughs> being like, yep, that guy's lying. You can tell. Well, but that's the thing, too. Like, I would look like a liar talking to the cops or a prosecutor (laughs) because I would be nervous as fuck and I would not be saying whatever's on my mind. I would be choosing my words very carefully. (laughs) Do you know, it would be, I'd look like the worst fucking liar. And that's why you got to call your lawyers immediately. (laughs) Yup. Don't Don't talk to shit. Uh, For me, there's a little personal thing that, that uh, that hit me when I was watching him uh, because he immediately said he's 
they bring up that he's partially Vulcan. Mm. You know, like he's like I'm mostly human, but he has these ears that are absolutely Vulcan. I was like, his ears are like my last name. It's like there's something about you that speaks very specifically to being something that you're not actually a part of culturally. Um, and like it, it, I spiraled down. I was like, what it must have been like for this guy who looks like a Vulcan. Mm. Other than the eyebrows, his ears speak to being a Vulcan, and yet no Vulcan would ever acclaim him. But that means also in the the human circle, he, it's like, oh, you're not really human either. You have a trait that obviously makes you different from us. Like it was like that's all. Like I every time I saw him, I was like, man, that a, there's a story there about how this kid grew up, and it's it's not always that easy mm-hmm. to not have a a very identifiable circle you know like bouncing between them can be like oh you know i I can't be filipino but i you know they can't all be all white either like it's uh it's this i was like yeah i get you dude (laughs) i understand (laughs) yeah also i have pointy ears well right i relate on that level as well (laughs) half elves man they're not in either world not in either world it's hard for us (laughs) well sati uh wants to restrict tarsus's movements she wants them to watch him picard says i'm not willing to do this based just on what a betazoid senses and she says rightly so you know if troy says someone is untrustworthy wouldn't you watch them which is a fair point uh, mm-hmm. you know, and he sort of hems and haws and says he won't treat the man like a criminal. Uh, and so she goes as far to say, you're going to let the saboteur run free. Cause of course she would use saboteur as a word. Cause it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I love his point here where he's like, yeah, you're right. I, I, I would probably have those things and I'm going to investigate those feelings yeah. and those thoughts going forward and, you know, and reevaluate them. And I think that's, the self-reflection um, that is missing by, uh, you know, Satie and, and, and her cohorts, right? And and is the most important part of this entire thing. And it only really occurs here halfway through the episode where Picard just to be, you know, he just raises his hand being like, hey, are we doing the right thing? He's the, uh, um, the character in 12 Angry Men uh, who is like, everybody's like ready to throw everything at him. And he's like, well, well, I got one more question. Yeah. That's juror number six. <laughs> right. Sorry, I couldn't remember it's which the, jury number he was. <laughs> it's not just Troy we see from this episode, right? That the writers just don't know how to deal with a race of people that can feel things that's going on. Because when he says he's hiding something about Tarsus, he's like, yeah, we know, dude. We know that he's hiding something. It's obvious that he's hiding something. Right. It, you're not saying anything that every single person here didn't observe. So leap, thank you, Betazoids. The leap is, is like, <laughs> he goes, I, I felt this. We found our person. We found our guy. And that's right. the thing that Picard and this entire right. hinges Which on. Which Troy never would have right. done. No. It's like, I'm not getting something. And that would have been left alone. Right? Like, there's a difference between them. But the same thing with all of them is you never say anything that we don't already see. Well, we go to engineering and Jordy and Data say, good news, everyone. We found fractures that, that were in the door. It's incompetence. It was, <laughs> we did it. it was, whoops. I'm the problem. 
It wasn't terrorism. It was incompetence. That's way better. <laughs> it was kind of like it was kind of like earlier when when uh, Satie said to Picard. Uh, there's no way this person could have snuck on the, um, or I mean, she's about to do it here again. There's no way this person could have snuck on to the uh, Starfleet uh, flagship flagship without help. And and Picard's like, well, our security kind of sucks. <laughs> He's like, it would be hard, but like, it's not impossible. Listen, lady, you don't know what kind of space shit we've run into. <laughs> That's all right. right. <laughs> Don't talk to me about what happens on the holodeck. <laughs> well, she says just because there's no sabotage doesn't mean that there's not a conspiracy, which is a big red flag. Oh, man. That's a big uh, alert. Uh, uh, red alert. Like, take cover. And means that they had this agenda to start right. with, right? That she was yeah. being sent here on a witch hunt for Picard, for all these things, uh, for all of the... Uh, you know, goings on that have happened on the Enterprise for the last three years that we've been able to watch, right? That's that's what that means to me. That to me means that she is so bound up in her own ego mm-hmm. that, I, you know, I don't know that she came in like, I'm going to get Picard. I don't think that that was the target necessarily. I think he becomes the target because he's pushing against her and being her adversary and she mm-hmm. thinks, well, the only pers- possible reason that someone could push against me is he must be part of the conspiracy. Like, she's so mm-hmm. wrapped up in it that she sees it everywhere. Right. Yeah. If you're not she's with us, you're against us. Would you say, Eric? Yeah. She's a fascist. Yes, she is yeah. a fascist. And she has no self-worth unless she's successful, right? If If she doesn't find a conspiracy and she just leaves, she failed. Yeah. Right. She has no value in her mind, like you're saying. Well, and they, but it's true too. Like it's a publisher parish mindset in in the cops. If if you don't find criminals and ever bigger criminals and ever more criminals, then you'll have to fire some cops. <laughs> like it's just yeah. that's it. Uh, there's oh, always no. shit like that. Anyway. Yeah. Fuck you, Gene Simmons. Except you're a really lovely person and actor. <laughs> and and one of the one of the wonderful tidbits about her that I left out is that she was once under contract for Howard Hughes, and uh, he tried everything to sleep with her. And her husband at the time, Stuart Granger, who has one of the great names because he was born James Stewart, but had to choose a different stage name because that one was taken. Uh, mm-hmm. Chose Stuart Granger, which I fucking love as a name. Anyway, uh, he threatened to beat the shit out of Howard Hughes, and then Howard Hughes punished both of them and gene simmons took him to court and got released from her studio contract wow good for her so one more awesome thing about her even though her character is a fascist piece of shit well speaking of courtrooms see what i did there (laughs) Uh, the hearing room is suddenly filled with people and that is concerning uh because we're opening it up for the sake of transparency uh basically uh, and Riker is going to be counsel for young Tarsus. Uh, they question him and they accuse him of being Jadan's co-conspirator uh, to the point where uh, Saban, um, or Sabine, Saban, I think, uh, lies about the door being blown off yes. by corrosive chemicals. Which, which we don't know about in this scene, but 
Yes. Well, no, we do know. We do know because they've already gone. Yeah, we knew knew that it was was fractured. Oh, I just missed it. Like I until see that they wrote the next scene for me. (laughs) (laughs) Like like tapping the TV screen. Hey, dummy. (laughs) If you missed it, well, he's a good liar. Said it. Here it is again. That was not true. And this to me is the <laughs> second red five because the first one is when uh, um, Sati is trying to explain why she opened up the the hearings to the public. Said something along the lines of, "You know, they conspirators don't like it when there's lights on. It's like cockroaches skittering into the mm. corners." And I'm like, yeah. "So you're already thinking about these people as less than human? Right. That is that's McCarthyism. That's fascism. That's everything that you know the the Constitution of the Federation should stand against. And uh, you know she's a villain, right from right from this right. point. And lying. I mean, l- fabricating evidence is that's got to be against the guarantees, right? Like, yes, entrapment. They're going after young Tarsus for lying about his paternal grandfather, uh, that he is Romulan. And at this point, Riker's like, yo, you need to stop. We're going to invoke the seventh guarantee and decline to answer any more questions. So in the observation lounge, uh, Worf is working with his security officers to look more into Tarsus. Picard comes in and is like, this is problematic. So he sends everyone away, sits down Worf, and explains to him how this is like a drumhead trial. And I got real excited because the title was mentioned in the episode. What? That's where they got the title title. from. And he says, this is a xenophobic witch hunt, and I don't like what we have become. This is a lovely scene between between Worf and Picard. Mm -hmm. What do we think of... uh, this drumhead analogy uh, or anything else. I love that. Well, I would love that, you know, just sort of the didactic, didactic nature of learning what drumhead right. was, you know, the history of it. But my favorite part was Worf, the the camera on Worf as Picard leaves after that, that nice little nugget of, I don't like what we've become. And again, I was like, Oh yeah. In, in Worf's mind, the captain is everything like that's, the chain, it goes up and you model yourself after your captain. And if you don't, then you go find a new captain because that's their way of life. And for him, like that moment, he's like, I could see this wheel spinning. Like uh, the captain doesn't like this stuff, but I feel like it's right. You know, like that conflict of my superior doesn't like where we're going, but um, it feels right yeah. to me. And I, I just thought that was a real juicy yeah. moment. Uh, for the actor and for us yeah. in the audience to witness his conflict. Which also right. is a wonderful setup for what is about to happen with Worf, right? Like, we need we need right. this scene. It's it's smart yeah, it's writing. The, it's the volley. Ooh, ooh. And I really love that Mike, Michael Dorn uh, has gone on to say this is one of his favorite mm. episodes of the entire Trek, uh, Trek canon. Um, and I didn't realize until I read that and I started to think about what you guys are saying here. It, this really is almost a point of view uh, story for Worf, or at least he's one of the more uh, important points of view because he is caught up in it, right? He is the one who is like, yeah. no, I I was an inst- integral part of this. I get to show him, you know, in some ways he was doing it because it was a Klingon that was accused earlier, so he feels like he has to be the model Klingon uh, in this mm-hmm. situation, which is also very true in, in, in race relations in our world, that they have to feel like you know, I, I can't be incriminated or, or do anything wrong. And if I'm the one who is incriminating others, therefore I show that 
it's not a racial issue. It is a individual, you know, character issue. Right. And so it's really, really fascinating to see like his journey. And you're, you're right. This scene is where he starts to question it for the first time and, and see Picard. And I love that Picard is not yelling here, no. right? He's not, he could very well be the angry, like, no, my way is the highway and I'm the captain here. He, he's so much more introspective and getting his point across in uh, really calm ways that is actually what ends up being the undoing later on too. And he does it here with Worf. Uh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it, it just if I could piggyback off that real quick. Uh, he was definitely calm, but I took it as, as he was afraid. Mm-hmm. Picard was watching afraid. I was like he senses danger and not afraid like scaredy cat but yeah. like yeah. like I have to be ready for a fight because it's coming um and I thought was was absolutely brilliant because it just makes the stakes more it makes the it makes the bad guy badder it makes them seem like they're really there is danger because as an audience we know like there's no way Picard goes down like hmm. we know it's going to end in the 50 minutes and it's hard to overcome those those things when you get trained but the tension was still there and it's because patrick stewart is bringing that fear he's you know like we've said before if you want somebody to seem like a king or a queen all the other actors should treat them that way and then the audience will see them as that and him having that sense of fear really made settee seem uh fearsome for me I like that Eric can only nod. <laughs> yes, Eric's uh, Eric's sound is off temporarily, so we're going to watch him nodding and shaking his head. Right now, he's nodding his head. So Picard <laughs> and Tarsus have a little sit down. They talk about why Tarsus didn't enlist. He wanted to be out traveling with stars rather than at school, it sounds like. Uh, and he is bummed about making a mistake that will haunt him for the rest of his life. And Picard is trying to say, you know, yeah, you fucked up, and maybe we can make we can make this work. So we go to. I love that little de- detail of the same elm tree that they both were aware of that they used to uh, study at. It was a really great bench. connecting moment between these yeah. two actors. Yeah, it is sweet, and it's uh, shows how fu- well you know. Not that Tarsus is a kid. But he's a young, but he is young, and Picard can oftentimes be very awkward around the younger, you know, staff and and ensigns and things, and and this is a nice little bit of bonding. You're right. Wesley did teach him how to talk to the young he folk. He did. He did. Uh, Picard, in his ready room, calls out Sati for lying about the chemicals, and she's like, "What are you gonna do about it?" It was <laughs> a tactic, right? Ugh. Um, he says lying about his heritage doesn't make him a traitor. Uh, and she talks about her dad some more. He says, I'm going to stop you. And she says, oh, no, no, no. I've already been talking to Starfleet. Not only are the courts not stopping, they're going to get bigger. And we got another admirable. Admirable? <laughs> we got another admiral on his way. <laughs> admirable, admiral. That's the name of the sitcom set. All right. <laughs> Have we seen him before too? Has he played an admiral before? The oh, I same don't actor, know. Admiral Henry. He didn't talk no. at all, so it was, no, he, he was couldn't definitely get that. a day player. <laughs> yeah, so maybe not central, central casting. casting yes. Yeah, we had not seen him before or since. <laughs> no SAG affiliation for him, huh? 
Oh, I love on her way out. Um, she says, "Do what you must, Captain, and so will I." Ooh, that's just good mm-hmm. evil pontificating. Mm-hmm. On the bridge, Picard is distracted. I don't know why. And then he gets called in to be questioned in front of the committee. He gets a summons for fuck's sake. Like, I'm glad they didn't, like, come in, like, with a pizza order and be like, Picard here. (laughs) You've been served, dude. You've been served. (laughs) What, what? Pranks? And she seemed a little smug about it, too. The the lady who in hand is like, you thought you'd get away from it, but you can't. And... She didn't do anything. Like the actor just handed it and she didn't like try to steal yeah. the scene or but there was something happening there. She had yeah. a story no, in her mind, it seemed moment, like. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Admiral Henry is now on board to watch the proceedings. And Picard starts with a beautiful speech where he speaks speaks up for Tarsus. Have we become so fearful, so cowardly that we must extinguish a man because he holds the blood of a current enemy, he says. Hmm. Which is like, yeah, yeah, Greg. All that stuff is great, but I also just love that like Picard, in addition to being an archaeologist and a lover and a Spencer (laughs) and all these things, he also knows the law, the law code very well and is able to be like, oh, by the way, section 3562-4B says... F y'all, I'm going to talk. Well, it's not his first trial, nor is it Rikers. Like, they have a couple of under their belt. Well, I love this opening salvo between the two of them. And I love the moment that she says, would it surprise you because that you've broken the Prime Directive nine times? Because it surprised the hell out of me, which is just Ooh. such a... So good. So good. Clearly she hadn't been listening to re-engage for the last uh, four years because we were always like, he's doing it again. He ignores that prime directive in every episode it comes up. She questions him about the transferring of the Romulan spy, which we remember they thought that she was Vulcan. Uh, And Worf stands up for Picard at that point. And as a result, Satie accuses Worf's father of being a traitor. Again, like just knives flying wherever they can. I Like those little stiletto knives, right? That like come out from the jacket pocket, just like with little... That's what I imagine. That's what that moment was. And I just love to that like this is uh, you know supposed to be a trial uh, I guess even though there's no like judge or like there's no like a, a other ceremony other than her just asking questions and then it goes very much from Picard right to Worf like oh, oh all of the the questioning is now at him uh, before it goes God, it does come back to Picard but it doesn't seem to be like any real rules to how this proceeding goes other than the fact that Picard can cite them when it's in his favor <laughs> right and he calls it a trial it's like and don't mis- don't be mistaken this is right. a trial. Right. Um, and he didn't harp on the the breaking the law by putting false testimony in the previous one like that. Like, should have hammered that home. But his was way more <laughs> eloquent. Well, we come away from Worf, and she brings up Picard being the Borg. What a bitch! I couldn't believe it. How is she gonna pull that mm, shit know, on him? Man, Pulled why are you bringing up old shit? It's all old shit. He couldn't help it. <laughs> It's like, oh, it must have been really hard for you to kill 11,000 people. Mm, You know what? It was. It was very exhausting. (laughs) I had to recharge a lot. 
<laughs> I had to go back and see my brother, and he punched me in the face. <laughs> also, Cisco will never be my friend now. <laughs> well, he pulls out another quote from her father about the dangers of mm. denying basic rights to one man in the name of protection. Mm. But he does it so smoothly. Right? It's so smooth. It's so nice. Jimmy, you want to talk about that? Well, I can't quote what he said. I just like, it wasn't obvious because it didn't start off with, I'd love to quote your right. father. It's just this beautiful thing about how wrong all this is and taking away freedom and how we all get hurt when we trample on any one individual's freedom. Uh, and then he slips it in who says that. And it's like, it's because he doesn't say it right away. Instead of a slap on the back, it's a punch yes. to her nose. And man, does it sting. Yes. It was so good. I love her immediate reaction is you dirty his name when you speak it. Oh, Mm. so good so good what uh, the writing in this episode is just fantastic yeah uh she accuses yeah. him of treason and conspiring with the romulans i've brought down bigger men than you picard she's losing her shit and then admiral right. henry gets up without a word and says it's not in my contract to talk <laughs> <laughs> they won't give me a sag <laughs> my sag card for this so i'm out uh, and they call a recess and everyone just awkwardly leaves, including including <laughs> like, her cohorts, right? Like everyone's like, ooh. Ah. Yeah, she's done. She's done. Uh, it's over for her. And there are some folks who criticize this episode as saying like it doesn't do enough. It doesn't close this door enough. But I think, you know, her spitting fire here as well as saying that line of brought down bigger men than you goes to what you were saying Kate about this being about her right. ego and we all got to everyone got to see it in this room that this is not about you know even though she says it's all about the federation and how it's really about it's a, it's 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 her personal fight and her personal vendetta uh, about this situation that is at stake and once she I think she even sees that through her words and is why she kind of sits down defeated right. um I have nothing else to say. <laughs> and I like that. I like that she's like, fuck. <laughs> I have become everything that I hate right. a little bit here. Although we know we don't quite get that resolution. Right, right, right. Well, in the observation lounge, Worf shows up and lets us know that Admiral Henry quietly put an end to the hearings. He just, uh, he didn't say any words. He just walked in, put his finger to his lips and made the shushing noise. And they were like, understood. We will stop with the court proceedings. <laughs> then he left. Uh, and Satie has also left the ship. Uh, Picard muses that perhaps we are not that far away from the witch trials. And Worf is concerned that he was so ready to listen and believe her. Uh, and we're left yeah. with the cheery thought of there will always be someone like her. It is a dire warning. <laughs> <laughs> Just waiting, waiting for their opportunity to take advantage of the Ooh. moment. Yeah, yeah. As well as this creation of the the, the system of fear, right? That this is that it, it what it, it's spreading fear and mistrust in the name of righteousness. Mm. And I'll be damned if that didn't just hit me like a gut yeah. punch as to what's occurring mm -hmm. in in our culture right now with you know, anti-trans policies being enacted uh, in so many states. Like, it just seems like this is being used almost as a textbook for uh, yeah. the bad actors in right. our society. 
In the name of saving the children. We're going to hurt them. It's for the children. Yeah, this one did not end with like a little cherry on the top where they like at the end do the freeze frame, like high five, right? Like <laughs> This was definitely one of those episodes that's like, you're going to need to ruminate on that. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which we have ruminated on it. So let's talk about our final feelings for this particular. Uh, we'll start with Greg, then go to Jimmy, then end with Eric. Starting with Greg, uh, tell us about your final thoughts on this episode. I think this is a really, really uh, well-written episode. As we said, it's well-acted. It's really poignant, like I said, for now. And for that reason, I'm going to give it uh, uh, 10 Nuremberg trials out of 10. Because uh, it's... it's transcendent for me like it is great art and it does what great art is supposed to do which is show what happens when uh you know villains or people we think are heroes are actually the villains right and it's something that we all need to be vigilant for uh it's that that ending uh speech that picard gives again just hit me really really hard and it is not a feel-good episode by any means but that means that's why it's so important. Um, it reminded me of the of the Crucible um, by Arthur Miller and 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 how much that took that theme of the Salem witch trials and brought it to uh, uh, you know in the fifties was around the you know the McCarthyism and everything here and I think this is the sci-fi version of that. It's like that idea about how we as humans are not that far away from from villainy and chaos and that we have to constantly be fighting against it or even in a society that we think is as enlightened as uh you know the star trek is in the 24th century i've often said it it does feel like a utopia compared to ours but picard's point here of it like it can it can it can change so quickly and we have to be vigilant against it is something that uh, resonated very strongly with me and i think that's why it's uh you know one of the 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 most important star trek episodes we've we've watched here so far awesome thank you greg well said, Jimmy. Uh, I really enjoyed the episode too. Some uh, fantastic Trekno babbles. Some of my favorite with the amino acid. Just think that's absolutely brilliant uh, way of uh, uh, of describing how you could steal information. Uh, I'm gonna give it um, nine mostly humans to honor my uh, Romulan brother in there and his pointy ears. <laughs> Um, it's important for all the reasons that Greg said. I won't uh, rehash that because he said it perfectly. Um, one of the things uh, about this episode, though, is that this is what TNG is supposed to be. Like, It's supposed to take a look at what's not right and say that this isn't right. Um, and sort of to contrast what TNG did and sort of what uh, like Disco was doing, um, TNG was looking at something that seemed like it was a long time ago because it's very clearly inspired by McCarthyism. Um, it, it seems like it's in the past and we're over it, but we know that that's not true and they warned us of that. And that seems safer than what Disco was doing, which was taking stuff that was happening absolutely right now in the moment and saying, this is wrong, but guess what? This is how you can make it better and this is how you should treat things. When you see these type of people, this is how you can interact with them. We're giving you... We're giving you a little lesson here. Uh, and, you know, that that didn't sit well with a lot of people. And um, I'm kind of glad because that means they were doing what they're supposed to do, just like this episode did. Thank mm. you. Eric. I'm back. 
<laughs> I give this one for the same reasons as my friends have already said, uh, but I'm giving it 8.5 titular lines. I thought the uh, the scene where the titular line was brought forth was particularly good. <clears throat> um, and uh, the uh, warnings uh, put forth by all of our favorite main characters uh, remain wise and wonderful. Um, I sure did enjoy all of Gene Arthur's stuff. I, I always love when Captain Picard uh, isn't just smart, but he's wise. So when he sees this behavior and sees where it's going, he knows what's coming next, and he takes that second break. He doesn't let them do what they're clearly going to do before he uh, stands against it. He sees where it's going and stands in the middle, which is what you have to do. Uh, otherwise, this shit doesn't work, because they'll deny what they're doing right up until they've done it. And then you can like be mad at them, but they've got what they wanted and they did it. So you have to believe that they want that before they tell you. And, and that's what uh, made Picard's um, strategy so effective. Uh, you, you know what they want. <laughs> you know, you don't listen to their words. And uh, really a fantastic episode. Uh, so uh, thanks, y'all. What about you, Kate? Well, thanks for asking, Eric. I'm going to give this <laughs> nine and a half issues. Uh, that sound like disuse. Uh, it's just fantastic for all of the reasons that have been previously stated. And part of it is just so wonderful to watch such a veteran actor uh, be a craft and uh, be at the height of her craft, right? Like um, that it's just a throwback to a different time and a different acting style that was already starting to disappear when this episode filmed. So to have um that preserved for us now in 2023 just feels really special to me i feel very similarly the way i do uh the way um murder she wrote did the same thing brought in all of these aging actors you know who had had their prime and were about to make their exit and gave them one last moment to be amazing um so i just i dig it and yeah i mean talk about something that is unfortunately eternally uh important to discuss like we like to think you know oh we've gone past that point and oh now we've finally on the other side of that and yet we are constantly taking steps forward and steps backwards uh and we're steadily going backwards right now um so uh, i highly recommend this episode um uh if you are deciding whether or not you're going to invest the time in a season four episode this is a prime one to watch um and i like it i really do so much i peed just a little um so my pants are wet (laughs) (laughs) it's somehow more disturbing if you do it just a little than if you just pissed yourself Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fourth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates when episodes are published and some other stuff. You can also follow our various Cultural Bridge crew on social media. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. 
Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Lee and Cage is edited by Greg Tito and Jimmy G and sometimes Kate Yeager. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo 97 on Twitter. The music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now for the traveler to re-engage.